This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception to pregnancy and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional. Thank you for being with us today. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. We're talking about a very important topic today, sleep. We've all heard that new moms and parents don't sleep when they have a new baby, but it's actually a pretty huge deal. Lauren DePaola is going to give us the information we need to know about how it impacts us and why we need to be taking a closer look on protecting our sleep as much as possible. Lauren is a wife, a mother of two boys, and a licensed clinical social worker in Florida. She owns a private mental health practice with a focus on reproductive mental health. It was part of wellness and family counseling located in Gainesville, Florida. Lauren is the founder of the Alachua County Perinatal Mental Health Coalition, the president of Florida Chapter of Postpartum Support International, and co-chair of the newly formed Florida Maternal Mental Health Collaborative. Wow, Lauren, you're doing a lot of stuff. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a lot of good things, (laughs) all for a good cause. Absolutely. So it looks like you're doing so much in so many different venues, formats out there, and it's all so, so important. Um, and I, I do want to touch on a little bit of that, the work that you're doing as we go along. But first, let's start with you and what uh, went on for you that brought you into this work. Sure. So as you said, I'm the mom of two, two boys. And um, in one of my postpartum periods, I was finishing up clinical supervision, had never had any prior mental health history before. Although another important piece of uh, mental health involves traumas mm-hmm. um, and acute childhood experiences. And so as now I'm involved in this part of mental health, recognize that I did have some of those things existing, but I experienced some postpartum depression and anxiety. And so here I was, you know, educated person and in the medical field, uh, in the mental health field, even more specifically, Mm -hmm. married, financially stable, you know, all of the things, you know, exercising those different things have support around me and still experience some symptoms. 
there was no help around, right? We hear that all the time. Yeah. And so thankfully, being in clinical supervision, you know, I did have at least some support related to, you know, helping me take care of my primary responsibilities. Um, But I reached out after looking in Florida and finding nothing, specifically nothing in North Central Florida. Mm -hmm. I reached out and found Postpartum Support International. Yeah. And through them also got connected to Dr. Diana Lynn Barnes, um, who's an expert in the field. And thankfully my symptoms were mild. And through the knowledge, through changing some different lifestyle particulars for myself was able to pretty quickly resolve that with some support through PSI. Um, and again, just gaining some of that knowledge. Right. That's great. I'm so glad you did find help and I can so identify with your story. Mine is very similar just in terms of, you know, being a professional in the mental health field and not knowing what was going on really. And it happens to so many people. One of the things too that I found is I also have some professional experience in child welfare field Mm -hmm. Um, here in Florida. It's called Department of Children and Families. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now this is part of the work that I do in Florida as well, um, is educating the child welfare system. And it's just so interesting in my own personal experience to have experienced some of the rage and frustration and anger and related to what we're going to talk about today, Mm -hmm. (laughs) interruption and sleep and sleep debt, those things for me resulted in some thoughts that I had never had before that I was ashamed of, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that so many folks that I had worked with before within the child welfare field, it all kind of hit me. Um, And, you know, I hear so many people say, you know, you never can understand how someone would shake a baby or, you know, say, I wish I never was a parent until you're in it and until maybe specifically you experience some of these combinations. Yep, absolutely. I'm so glad you're mentioning that. It really is hard to know what it's really like until you go through it. But more specifically, those rage feelings, those are hard. Those are really, really hard. So in terms of the work that you're doing now and more specifically sleep, I want to understand more about sleep and the role that that plays in all of this. Can you speak to that? Sure. So from my own experience specifically, and then now with a chosen specialization in reproductive mental health and perinatal mental health specifically, we know that sleep changes so much, even related to folks who may be experiencing infertility and you know, during pregnancy, we are uncomfortable, we have to use restroom a lot, so sleep changes a lot. And stressors go up, sleep tends to get disturbed, and certainly in the postpartum period, we find a lot of sleep disturbances. And so I know for myself individually that that was a big factor in what I experienced. And so that really has directed where some of my focus has been. Mm-hmm. So I've just been doing, first thing to mention is that there's not a lot of research out there on sleep. It's kind of a growing body of information over time. And so that's one. I like sleep research specifically in the postpartum or pregnancy period. 
Right. So even just sleep in general, it's really only in the past several you know, decades, maybe grown and gained funding for more research studies to be done. And specifically with parents, the only research studies that are out there, at least that I'm aware of right now, are related to individuals who have no children, right? So it's not even specific to parents, Mm -hmm. but the majority are related to individuals who are maybe graduate students Mm -hmm. and understand that at any point in time, they can stop. (laughs) They can stop the disturbances of sleep and that they have some control over when they can return to their own controlled sleep environment. Mm -hmm. And the studies that we have specific to women during pregnancy and postpartum are very, very small. And we can kind of understand how, you know, it wouldn't be a mom entering a sleep lab, you know, hooked up to a bunch of, you know, different machines to, to measure her sleep, um, that that would be limited. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there, there's not really much to go off in terms of research, but what about what you see? Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things that I see is that there's a lack of education mm-hmm. about the importance of sleep. Mm-hmm. We all kind of passively say sleep is important. And when you have a baby, you're not going to get much sleep. Mm-hmm. But sort of this idea that someday, one day you'll sleep again. <laughs> right. And we do what we're doing now. We laugh about it. But it's so, it's just so disruptive mm-hmm. physiologically for our our bodies in general. And so I think that's first is is just the lack of education about sleep Mm -hmm. um, related to whether, you know, it's in a book about pregnancy and postpartum or whether it's in a prenatal course. There's just a huge lack there. That's so true. Right. So moms are going into, or and dads and parents on every level are going into this knowing on, on, on some level that they're going to have less sleep or not sleep um, at all. And I think that it makes it, because it's sort of common knowledge on some sense, It's I don't think it's taken seriously enough. I think one of the biggest things that I see, though, that there's potential to take it seriously. One of the things here in Florida, and I know across the U.S., is a focus for child welfare agencies on infant mortality. Mm. We have to find the connections. And one of the top causes of infant mortality is abusive head trauma Mm. or shaken baby syndrome. Mm -hmm. And when we begin to look at abusive head trauma and go backwards, we begin to look at what folks who were the perpetrators were expressing as far as their frustration, Uh as far as lack of sleep, as far as a lapse in judgment Mm -hmm. that it typically coincides with that time period in an infant's life where crying naturally tends to go up. Right. And so when we combine those things and we know the effects about sleep debt, Mm -hmm. whether it's insomnia, total sleep loss, or interrupted sleep, we can pretty clearly, I believe, see some connections there. Some of those connections would be our ability to think clearly and use, you know, proper judgment goes down, our reaction time goes down. And so I know, you know, you see cases of infant death with parents rolling over on their child. And while some of that is related to improper 
you know, or just unsafe co-sleeping and whatever your thoughts are on co-sleeping and sometimes also involves substance abuse. We also see correlations between how sleep is being interrupted um, and reaction times and all those physiological effects of sleep deprivation. How do you mean how sleep is being interrupted? Like the frequency or? Right. So, so just a quick kind of education on sleep. I don't know if that would be helpful. That'd be great. Yes. Okay. Okay. So adults typically have two major parts, if you will, of, of our sleep cycle that includes five stages and it varies greatly from infant sleep cycles. So that's important for us to understand. Mm -hmm. So the two major parts are either non-rapid eye movement or rapid eye movement. And the non-rapid eye movement is where we begin. And it has four stages. So we enter sleep kind of drowsy, but aware of our general surroundings in stage one, and then on to a light stage of sleep where we can still be easily woken up but our body and our eye movements stop, our heart rate slows down, our blood pressure goes down. And we're basically kind of paralyzed a little bit physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's for, you know, it's for a reason later on during the rapid eye movement and that stage where you feel like you may be falling, but you can't stop yourself. Mm-hmm. Kind of connected. And then the third and fourth stage of this non rapid eye movement are where we begin to enter deep sleep. And and they have huge importance because this is where we get the most restoration for brain and body. Mm -hmm. This podcast is supported by Posh Peanut. Raising a family can be tough, as we know, and it can also be amazing and beautiful. Posh Peanut gets it, which is why they make beautiful, soft clothing that is tough enough to withstand all of the rough and tumble of childhood And they have sizing for parents as well. You could even get matching clothing for the whole family. Made from viscose from bamboo, the clothes stretch with your kid as they grow and are four times stretchier than cotton. These clothes are made to last, loved by parents and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house from beautiful florals to your favorite brands such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty and Barbie. It's also breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate on sensitive skin. So I got my Posh Peanut loungewear, and I've been putting it on, especially after my long client days, because I need the instant comfort and relaxation. It's one of the ways that I do my self-care, because the soft, stretchy fabric of the Posh Peanut loungewear is really comforting to me. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code MIND. Go to poshpeanut.com slash mind and use promo code mind for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash mind, promo code mind. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. 
My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. It's also important to note that a restorative stretch of sleep, so the stretch word is really important. Okay. A restorative stretch of sleep for brain and body is five hours. (laughs) So when I say that, in mm-hmm. clinic, you know, in session with my clients, I get daggers like thrown at me, from <laughs> clients, right? Like, right. Yeah, like, yeah, right. Uh-huh. right. Mm-hmm. But it has huge effects on our whole physiological system. And so, and then stage four is the deepest sleep and it lasts about 30 minutes for adults. And then we typically go back to stage three and then stage two where sleep gets lighter And then we move back on, you know, through the stages and then to rapid eye movement stage. And this is, again, this is where our body is paralyzed, but those involuntary systems are working. So our heart, our eye movement, all of that. And this is where dreams take place, obviously. So Mm -hmm. the REM stage is really important as well because memories, brain restoration happens Newer research by, out of University of Rochester Medical Center, Dr. Niedergaard, did a research study in 2013. And again, this was finally funded by the NIH. And what they found in using mice or rats, I'm not quite sure which one, but was that the brain has a mechanism by which it cleans itself. And so it's flushing toxins built up from the day during an optimal sleep cycle, which takes about 90 minutes to complete. Okay. So when we see interruptions in that full sleep cycle, we're also affecting the longevity of our brain functioning, right? And so they call this this system the glymphatic system. And so it's flushing the brain. And so they did this research specifically related to studying Alzheimer's, Mm. how the brain builds up toxins and then deteriorates. So then we start to think about how sleep is so interrupted during the parenting years, right? During the reproductive years. Mm -hmm. What are we doing to our brains? So we hear so often this term, baby brain, right? Mm -hmm, We we use it flippantly, Mm -hmm. but there's really something going on there. We're affecting our brain's ability to create memory, to flush itself of the toxins that take place during the day. Mm -hmm. We're affecting our judgment, perception, all of that by these interruptions in sleep. And then when this happens over a long period of time, we call that sleep debt. Right. Which, I mean, from just a passing article titles I've seen, we're all functioning with some kind of sleep debt mm-hmm. on some level, but moms and families with newborns, baby and dad are heavily in this debt. Right. And essentially what you're saying is that your brain cannot function how it would normally function if it's, if you're not getting the sleep that you need in order to have that restorative time. Right. And so we, we warn people, we warn like truck drivers or even just maybe in driver's ed class, don't drive while you're drowsy or while you're sleepy because it causes accidents. But yet we're not educating parents on the hazards mm-hmm. that, that these sleep debts can cause. Okay. So in terms of the day-to-day impact, like what 
what are some things that a mom would be experiencing or a dad would be experiencing or a parent or whoever's taking care of a young child, an infant and who's losing sleep? What are the things that they would notice in the day? If we can kind of recap that a little bit. Sure. So, So some of the harmful effects of this, that certainly we can say caregivers of young infants whose sleep cycles vary so greatly from adult sleep cycles experience. So we see suppressed immune system and ability for the body to heal. Therefore, you know, folks, women recovering from the huge biological task it is to recover from birth, whether it's a vaginal delivery or cesarean delivery, and the healing factor of that, susceptibility to illnesses, mm-hmm. hallucinations. I know it was true for myself, especially in those first days. I had a cesarean. Uh, I've had two cesareans. And so in particular, the time period when I had postpartum depression and anxiety, in those days in the hospital, I remember hallucinating at things that I clearly were not there. So visual hallucinations. I thought that my, so an interesting fact is that my sister-in-law had a baby the same day that I did in the same hospital. Wow. (laughs) And about five hours earlier than I did. And so I remember at one point in the night, new mom trying to breastfeed, you know, the frequency with which you're trying to breastfeed a newborn, lack of sleep. Okay. And I thought at one point on the second day in the hospital that they had brought me my niece. And I was adamant that, no, I think you need to go check. I think you brought me the wrong baby. Mm. And so, you know, hallucinations there and, and kind of all of those things, mood changes, right? So we're talking about perinatal mood disorder. And so we see a susceptibility to depression and other mood changes with lack of sleep. On the medical emergency end of the spectrum of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, we see postpartum psychosis. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we see the extreme side that interrupted sleep and insomnia um, can have related to our our brain and body. Right. So, So the impact is huge. And we talk about sleep so casually, as we were saying before, oh, I'm never going to sleep again. Oh, you know, coffee this and coffee that, which, okay, coffee's great and amazing, but it doesn't replace the absolutely necessary function that your brain serves and the need that we have to to sleep, to have that downtime and let our brains heal and regenerate and, and all of that stuff. So if if you had a mom in front of you who was like, really needed to to get sleep but was having a hard time doing it what what would you tell her how would you support her and her family to help protect her sleep right so uh, it's a really delicate conversation to have yeah <laughs> with the new parents i think is the first thing and how i begin to handle that is is to understand her under her her expectation of herself and dad or partner's expectation of themselves related to what it means to be a good mom or dad and partner, and then move forward from there. And you have to take into consideration mom's uh, efforts to breastfeed, and then certainly any symptoms that are present. They're the family's priorities related to co-sleeping or not, and then baby's needs as well. Mm-hmm. So all of those things taken into consideration, specifically when I have a mom who's experiencing some symptoms that 
when we look at cost benefit analysis, right, of continuing in the same manner of sleep, we have to decide where the risk is greater. Mm-hmm. And that gets really sticky with breastfeeding moms because, yeah. you know, we hear messaging now in our culture, which is good and positive that, you know, breast milk is the ideal first food, except, you know, except yeah. when we have a mom who is not doing well at all, who is not functioning and whose symptoms of anxiety, panic, OCD, psychosis, mm-hmm. depression, whatever, mm-hmm. are way out of control. And her risk related to not caring for herself, not caring for her child, worst case scenario, harming herself or her child. We have to have a real honest conversation about that. Yeah. I'm so glad you're bringing that up. That is a real, real hard situation to to deal with as a parent, especially if you're already feeling anxious or depressed and feeling all that pressure to do what you think you're supposed to do or what you need to do for your child. And to fit yourself in there is really difficult. Yeah. And so I prefer to have spouse or partner come in for at least one appointment. If I have a mom who's coming to me as an individual so that we can really talk and map out what support looks like for her and how she best receives support. Yeah. And so one of those things may be, you know, talking, you know, if there's not a lot of existing knowledge for her related to breastfeeding, maybe pumping, uh, if it's, you know, at a time when she feels comfortable enough to pump and to have someone else do a, a feeding for the baby, maybe even considering, you know, supplementing with some formula if it's not at a point where she's able to pump. We really have to weigh the risks and the benefits of continued sleep loss mm-hmm. and so, engaging those supports. Right. It sounds like on some level doing a really kind of thorough evaluation or whatnot or kind of talking about what the sleep pattern is and what the nighttime pattern is. So you can then have those discussions about where to, to negotiate for something different. Right. And I think it's a it's a the bigger the bigger issue here is our cultural understanding in the United States uh-huh. of the expectations on not just moms, but of dads and partners as well. Yeah. When a new human being enters the family system. Yeah. And so our culture <laughs> does not value slowing down mm-hmm. and really taking time to physically recover and emotionally adjust to all of the things that come with a new baby entering the picture. And sleep has to be a factor in that. Absolutely. Yeah, that this is one of those soapbox issues for me, <laughs> as, as there as is true for a lot of the stuff that happens um, for new parents in this period of time. There's just not enough respect given to this period of time. And I'm really glad that you're touching on that. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're, Amy, more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. This is a huge change and to expect people to be able to navigate it and and also know everything at the same time is just too much. Right. Well, and also, you know, one of the biggest things that we see, so here in Florida, we have Healthy Start programs like Healthy Start, Healthy Family families who do education with families. Mm-hmm. And so if, if say OBGYN or pediatrician is making a referral for one of those entities to come into the home and to talk about child development, you know, with this sleep debt and how that affects each individually different individual differently, our ability to learn and retain information is also affected. And so, so a lot of that is sort of in some cases, wasted, you know, time and I would say resources. I also encourage families if if they come to me during the prenatal period, the antenatal period, that if they're going to have a baby shower, a better investment may be hiring a postpartum doula or if there's an infant care specialist, sometimes called a baby nurse, uh, for that postpartum period um, to help support you know, getting some sleep, whether it's during the day, during the evening, as opposed to some of these other non-essential items that we tend to be drawn to through such good marketing (laughs) Uh, and put on our, you know, our baby registry list. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, that's a fantastic idea really to, you know, have people who are going to give gifts invest help invest in some support for sleep if it's not already part of the family structure or the postpartum plan if if other folks aren't going to be able to come in that's super important so you know in terms of moms dads partners family members who uh, caregivers being tired during this time i'm sure you hear from people things that they've heard from other people that just are not supportive. So can if you can for just a minute kind of go through it if a family member is listening to someone who's just had a baby and is sleep deprived or is potentially sleep deprived, what what should they avoid saying? What would be helpful to say? So ironically, one of the biggest things to avoid saying, because it's so cliche, is simply just if someone's saying sleep when the baby sleeps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead, a better way to approach that would be to say, I am available on, you know, whatever day I can make myself available for this amount of time. I would like to make myself available to you to come over and take care of the lawn 
laundry, the you know duties of the household, hold the baby, give the baby a bottle, and allow for you to rest. Yes, um, you know, or be with you through the night because sometimes it's so lonely at night too, and it's not just you know, that we're sleep deprived, but it just feels so lonely and isolating. Yeah, absolutely, right. So I hear people say that still quite a bit. Um, sleep when the baby sleeps, and if you're not anxious, that might be possible. Right, <laughs> but a lot of anxious moms cannot cannot do that. Um, right. And one of the, one of the effects of, you know, of, of sleep deprivation, sleep debt is, is impairs our judgment. And especially when it comes to sleep, we begin to think that maybe we don't need that much sleep. I hear so many, so many mm-hmm. couples that I work with, you know, just kind of say it's a positive thing that I can get by on four broken up hours of sleep a night. But then when we get into other portions of the conversation, clearly, while you may have your eyeballs open, the rest of your body is not functioning very well. Right. So this is so important. I, I'm really glad that we're having this discussion and it really it feels like there's so much more we can talk about in terms of sleep and the importance of it. But really, it's it sounds like there's there's a couple of important take-home messages and that you've gone over and that sleep is paramount. It is absolutely necessary and essential and maybe the, the most important thing to, one of the most important things to attend to for all of those reasons you listed. And, and what are some of the other main things that you want to make sure people understand about sleep and the perinatal period? Sure. So I, I would start with just saying that not simply in passing saying that we're not going to get any sleep for X number of years, but also understanding the effects that it can have on individual functioning and then also on the functioning in the relationship, interpersonal functioning and the expectations that we have on ourselves when we have infants and raising young children. Um, And I talk with my clients about laying down the superwoman or the Superman cape um, for a season of time and accepting help. I think that's one of the basic parts of self-care is, is really being okay with saying yes when it's an appropriate time to say yes and also saying no. Right. So in those early days, weeks, even months, maybe it may be appropriate to not have a huge party of people all at once or all through the day in the hospital or at your home and feel like you're having to host others. Mm -hmm. Instead that it's really a special and important time for you and your spouse or partner and this new little human being Mm -hmm. to adjust to life together and to heal and to restore your bodies. Yeah, that's great. Right. So let's get that message out. (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, far too many people, it's sort of become, and I don't mean to minimize it, but it's sort of become this like, weird badge of honor to be able to, like you were saying, function with very little sleep, but it's, it's, it's potentially detrimental to not have the sleep. And really, I mean, on on some level, it's hard for people who are in that position, who are, like you were saying, already sleep deprived to be making good decisions about their sleep. It's, it's a really, it can be a really hard cycle to get out of. So I think, you know, informing people about this, that, hey, this is an issue. And if there are any healthcare providers who are listening today, 
or moms who are listening today uh, or family members, caregivers, whoever, to really understand how important this is and to be checking in with each other about this to protect their own health and wellness and that of their new family and, and all of those things, all of the things you've described that, you know, can potentially be really, really disruptive and harmful for the family. Absolutely. So in terms of what you've seen, though, in people getting the sleep that they need or renegotiating their sleep, how how quickly have you seen that it helps people to feel better? I would say pretty quickly, rather quickly, right? When we kind of negotiate what our pre-existing expectations are and look at the risks of continued, you know, whatever the cycle has been. And negotiate differently <laughs> to get to get a little bit more rest and sleep and try and work closer to that five hour stretch more often than not. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say that if I have a client who really buys into that and, you know, puts into place the supports that she or he needs, I would say when I see them the following week or the week after that they're recognizing decrease in irritability decrease in other maybe depressive symptoms, anxiety symptoms, uh, an increase in um, kind of interpersonal functioning, feeling better about their functioning at work or, you know, just in general with remembering things or doing tasks or what have you. I think one of the, one of the hardest populations to negotiate with (laughs) or to encourage some flexibility or just a different way of, of doing things is with co-sleeping families. And again, that's yet another delicate conversation to have because it just is based upon individual ideas and philosophies. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can get you more sleep. But what I would say is that I see a chronic, like years upon years of the sleep debt more often than not with families who have decided that co-sleeping is best for them. Um, And specifically with breastfeeding, co-sleeping families Mm -hmm. that at some point just don't renegotiate how often their child is, is maybe nursing throughout the night or, you know, the disruptions as children get bigger (laughs) and older in the bed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so again, that's yet another delicate conversation to have, but that has to be weighed against marital discord, mental health symptoms that are present, all of those things. Right. So all of this is, as you've been saying, a delicate conversation to have. And really, I mean, our I think our goal is to make sure that we help people find a balance that makes sense for them, right. honoring what they want in their life, right. and how they want to do things, and also to help balance that out with their health and wellness and, and give information and provide you know, this information on sleep is important. We all do it. We all need it. But, but, you know, we don't really understand its role and and how much it can impact us until we don't have it. Absolutely. And so I really appreciate this conversation. I think it's so useful and so helpful. And I also want to just take a minute and direct people to you and your work in Florida at you're at postpartum wellness and family counseling.com and you have a Facebook page. What is that? What is your Facebook page? That's P W A N D F C. Yes. Yeah. On Facebook and a coalition website, P P W A N D F C dot 
slash ACPMHC. So I'm going to put all of this information also up in the show notes and for everybody to be able to access your local support in Florida and information on the work that you're doing out there, which is so cool. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we talked about this today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. By joining us today and listening, you're a part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this free podcast so that Mom and Mind can be found by moms, families, and providers who will benefit from hearing our talks. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com where you will also find links and information from today's episode. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk, and let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking